Let's learn about target date funds or target date retirement funds in this, the 84th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining. Happy you're here, as always. Today, we got a good one. Today, I will be talking about target date funds, which go by multiple names. Could be target date retirement funds, could be called life cycle funds, could be called freedom funds, and, and other different unique spins and proprietary labels for these, but at their core, they're all the same thing, which I'll get into. But before, I wanted to share with you a quick story. The other day, I was driving to the airport to catch my flight, and I saw a sign that said, airport left. So I turned around and went home. All right, enough of that shenanigans. Let's move on. Target date funds, target date retirement funds. What are they? They are increasingly popular. You'll find them more readily available, maybe advertise more. Maybe you use them, maybe you don't. Maybe you're looking to learn what they are. Regardless, you came to the right spot for that. So at their core, they are mutual funds. So let me start with what a mutual fund is. I'll kind of jump ahead and say, check out episode 60 of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. And I'll put a link to that in the notes here where that was part four out of six of my series on intro to investing, which I'd highly recommend for anyone anyway, that, that whole six-part series. But that, that one in particular about mutual funds is a good background to, to this because it sort of uh, is the underlying foundation behind what these target date funds are. So there are mutual funds where a mutual fund is a pooled investment vehicle where instead of you buying let's say 500 different individual stocks to try to make a diversified portfolio on your own of of stocks in this case, you can buy a single fund, a mutual fund where you and a bunch of other people all pool up your money into one big fat pot. That pot is managed by a fund company such as Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab or whomever. They then use that pot and they go with that large pot and buy 500 different shares of stock. Now, they buy a much larger size, obviously, because because you're literally pooling together a bunch of people's money, and which means they can you know obviously buy more. But it's easier for them to get more diversified portfolios. If you only have let's just say ten thousand dollars to invest, it's going to be hard for you to buy let's say all five hundred stocks that there are in the S and P five hundred. You probably can't because you know uh, individual share of any one of those stocks could be expensive. Add that up. Chances are $10,000 won't get you one share of every stock in the SP 500. Even if it could, you're not going to be able to get the um, you know allocations right. Like one stock may be uh, whatever, I don't know, $1,000 share price. And you get one of those, that's going to be the lion's share of your, um, your $10,000, such that the weighting of the shares you buy individually probably isn't going to, almost certainly isn't going to match the weighting of the actual SP 500 itself. So you can't feasibly invest in a really large uh, diversified portfolio if you only have a relatively small amount of money to invest. But you can easily buy a mutual fund, and mutual funds invest in all different strategies and flavors. It all depends what you're looking for. But you can easily buy a mutual fund with your $10,000 that does easily and efficiently and cheaply get you access to all the exposure of the S&P 500 in this case. So so that's a mutual fund. Uh, I'll stop there for now. Again, check out episode 60 for more details about that. So a target date fund or target date retirement fund is a mutual fund where it's, it's ultimately just a fund of funds. It's a mutual fund that turns around and buys other mutual funds. So why does it do that? Well, the whole goal is it is intended to be sort of a set it and for, uh, I hesitate to use the word set it and forget it because I don't want to make it sound like these things are truly, truly hands off because as I'll talk about later, there, there are some drawbacks to them. But for now, I'll call it set it and forget it. So it's a way where you can get one fund that will get you access and and holdings of other funds across stocks, bonds, maybe other investment types in different mixes and allocations. All for buying one fund instead of having to buy four or five or 10 funds on your own, you buy the one fund, that one fund in turn buys multiple other funds. But that's not it. Um, it, the, The allocation of stocks versus bonds within your fund will change over time. As you get closer to retirement, so how it works is you you pick a retirement year, and typically these years are in increments of five. 
And then you say, okay, I plan on retiring in 2040. So I'm going to buy a 2040 target date retirement fund. Based on that target retirement year, there'll be some formula for what mix of stocks or bonds that fund is going to hold. All else equal, the closer you are, or closer we are in time to that 2040 date in this case, the uh, smaller the allocation of stocks will be. You know, the more it ratchets down and rebalances slash reallocates to get less aggressive and more conservative over time as you approach retirement. So that's how it's a kind of set it and forget it. You just put money in, you pick the target year. Initially, let's say you're 20 when you start investing, you know, you'd pick a year that's far out, like 2050, let's say, um, or 2060, 2070, whatever. It'll be fairly aggressively invested initially. And then as that target retirement year approaches, it, it'll start dialing down the stock exposure, dialing up the bond exposure, and sort of automatically uh, reduce your risk in that. So that's it in a nutshell. Now, to make this come to life a little more, uh, I have an example of a walkthrough of a particular product. Uh, I'm not recommending it. You know, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't buy it. I'm just using it as an example. It's probably one of the more common ones out there. Um, just start by saying these target date funds, you may have heard or read some really strong opinions about them saying they're garbage, stay away from them. I, I don't agree. They're not inherently good or bad. Like any product, it has its pros and cons. It has its use cases where it makes sense, where it doesn't, uh, times where it doesn't make sense. Even with its limitations, they still can be much more uh, good than harm, especially for folks who are younger or accumulating, you know, still in the accumulation stage of their financial life. For those that are older or specifically deaccumulating, then I, I'm of the opinion that target date funds are, are really not the right thing to have anymore. It still could be better than nothing in many cases, but uh, generally speaking, you know, I think they're good accumulation products. Not so ideal for decumulation. Um, before I get into the, the example of an actual target date retirement fund, I want to just chat briefly about how you buy them in case you're interested. So this really depends where your money is and how you're invested. So these are commonly available in employer-sponsored retirement plans like a 401k, or if you're a federal employee, the thrift savings plan, or 403b, or what have you. They, like any other investment option you have, it's you'll see this in your lineup, in your menu of funds. You can simply just buy it, just like you would buy any other fund or investment within your 401k. The specific process for that is going to be different for each person. You know, generally you log into your 401k website, you go to like investment, you would say like, you know, rebalance or trade or whatever the process is. This is no different. You buy this fund, you know, if you want one, you buy the target date fund just the same as you would buy the stock fund by itself or the bond fund or the whatever fund. Uh, in a formal case, there's, there's generally not fees to rebalance or trade or, you know, buy or sell things. Maybe your 401k limits you to only trading once a quarter, for example. So there could be that restriction, but typically there's not like an outright charge for, for you to place a trade. Uh, so let's now assume you're not buying this within your employer sponsored retirement plan. You're instead just, you have a, a brokerage account or an IRA, uh, you know, on your own at whatever custodian you have, Fidelity, Schwab, uh, Vanguard, doesn't matter. Then you can buy them there as well, just like you would buy a stock or a bond or any other mutual fund. You just simply, you know, go find the fund you want to get, buy it through whatever the trading process is for your particular broker or custodian, and that's that done. Um, there may or may not be a fee. Depends what custodian you use and what fund company's target date fund you want to buy. So, for example, if you have your brokerage account or your IRA at Schwab and you want to buy a Vanguard target date retirement fund, Schwab will charge you. It's, uh, I don't, you may have slightly different fee structure depending what kind of client you are to Schwab, how big your account balances are, how old of a client you are, you know, how, how long you've been with them, et cetera. But assume it could be 30 to $45 maybe per trade to buy or sell a Vanguard fund, uh, including a target date retirement fund at Schwab. Um, if you were to buy a Vanguard fund at Vanguard, Vanguard's not going to charge you any sort of sales fee, sales commission to buy or sell. But if you buy a Vanguard fund at someone other than Vanguard, then they probably will charge you. So that's another way to buy them. Or um, as with most mutual funds, you don't necessarily have to buy them within a brokerage account or an IRA. Some fund companies will let you buy the fund, buy into the fund directly where you, you in effect have an account just for that particular mutual fund, unlike a brokerage account, which is a, a bigger, broader bucket that can hold whatever funds or, or stocks. Sometimes you can buy mutual funds directly 
where you're just investing in just that fund. And if you want to invest in another fund, you technically open up an account with that other fund as opposed to just commingling them all in one brokerage account bucket, which is which is more commonly the way to do it. Not saying either way is better or worse, just you know, it's, it's different ways to go about it. All right, so let's let's step through an example of a target date retirement fund. Here, here's a hypothetical. I'm 46. Well, it's not hypothetical. I mean, I'm actually 46, but um, let's say someone else out there like me is 46 and they plan on retiring at roughly 60. So that's about 15 years, 14 years, but it's about 15 years until they uh, target, until they plan to retire. And let's assume this person isn't fully comfortable with investing and picking their own investments or they, they don't know much or you know whatever. They just want the simplest, easiest, most set it and forget it type option. They may be interested in a target date retirement fund where it'll do most of the work uh, and, and decision-making for them. So all else equal, assuming again, this person plans on retiring in about 15 years, they would perhaps choose the Vanguard, what's called Vanguard Target Retirement 2040 Fund. Now, th- th- there's different companies that offer these. Vanguard's one, Fidelity's one. I, I believe State Street is one. Uh, there's a bunch probably. Uh, and if you're, you have a 401k administrator, again, they may, w- whatever fund company they use probably has their own roster of target date retirement funds. Generally speaking, the, the funds go in increments of five years. So you can buy, for example, a 2035 target date fund, a 2040 target date fund, a 2045, 2050, 2055, et cetera. In this case, again, just let's keep it super simple. This person's assuming they're going to retire in 15 years. So they're, they're going to say, okay, I want a target date retirement fund where the target retirement year is about 15 years from now. And since he's usually going five-year increments, the closest to my 15 years from now which would be 2041, because again, I'm 46. The closest would be the 2040 fund. So I look, I go to Vanguard, I say, okay, oh, cool. They have a 2040 target retirement fund. I'm going to buy that. So let's walk in, let's dig into this fund a little bit. Like any mutual fund, it has an annual expense ratio. And this is just simply, you know, cost money for fund companies to run and administer and manage these funds. So they have to charge you something for it. The way they charge, they don't necessarily send you a bill or take you know an, an outright explicit fee out of your account every year, uh, or not a fixed dollar amount, I should say. There's something called an expense ratio built into a vast majority of funds. Some are zero, but most of them are non-zero. Where however much money you have in the fund any given year, they'll take a percentage out of it as their fee. And it's expressed, these, these fees are called expense ratios and they're expressed as a percentage. For this Vanguard Target Retirement 2040 fund, it is 0.08% is what they take out um, per year. So for example, I got a calculator here. You got $100,000 in it. This fee, 0.08% will be $80 per year in fee. Is that right? That sounds like $80 per year in fee. 100000 times 0.008. Sorry, $80 per year in fee. Yeah, I was off by a digit. $80 per year in fee. If you got a million dollars in this fund, it'll, then it'll be $800 per year in fee. All right. Um, did I do that right? What am I doing? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, so that's that's the fees, 0.08%. And this one also has, per the funds prospectus I went through, in addition to the 0.08% annual expense ratio that comes out, there's also a $20 per year, if your account is under a million dollars, account service fee that they can charge you. They can waive it, but my reading of this is that they will charge you that if your account's under a million dollars. So total expense for this particular fund, again, 0.08% per year gets like shaved right off the top. You don't see it. You don't get an invoice for it. It just kind of comes out of the value of your fund. And this $20 per year, uh, what they call account service fee, it looks like that, that'll get deducted out of your account value as well. So relatively cheap, as you can see, you know, relatively inexpensive. And in Vanguard's case, I believe the 0.08% fee and expense ratio is simply just them passing through the expense ratios of the underlying four funds that this fund invests in. Recall I said these target date funds are really nothing more than a fund of funds. It's a, it's a mutual fund that in turn takes its money, turns around and buys other mutual funds. So the uh, expense ratios of the underlying mutual funds are, are therefore in effect the fees that you pay as a, as a holder of this target date retirement fund. And I'll get into the four funds a little more particular. Uh, and on top of that, like I said, Vanguard charges $20 per year account service fee, it looks like. So where I was going with this is that all of these funds, these target date retirement funds, regardless whether it's Vanguard, Fidelity, or whomever, you're ultimately paying the, the underlying expense ratios of the funds in which they invest 
end. There may or may not be uh, some other sort of administrative charge or fee on top of that. Because even though this is a fund of funds and it's relatively straightforward, there's still some work in them doing the rebalancing of the underlying funds they invest in, et cetera. So they may charge you for that. You know, so like these fund to fund structure can have an additional layer of fees on top of just the underlying fund expense ratios. In the case of Vanguard, it looks like uh, they're not charging an additional expense ratio. They're just charging this, this extra $20 per year account service fee. I could be wrong, but that, that's my reading of, of the total fee structures of this. And like I said before, if you were to buy this through an account at Charles Schwab, for example, or at Fidelity uh, brokerage account, for example, you will almost certainly have to pay a commission or trading fee charged by Schwab or Fidelity to buy or sell this Vanguard fund. Um, because it's not a you know proprietary product to Schwab or Fidelity. You're, you're buying Vanguard's fund through Schwab or Fidelity. So we're going to make a little something on it so that they charge you a trading fee. So this particular funding in the Vanguard 2040, currently, as of the recording of this podcast, January of 2024, its total allocation is just shy of 78% stock, so 77.9% technically, and about 22% bond exposure, 22.1% uh, basically. So all in, this is about 78% stock, about 22% bond. So that's the allocation that Vanguard is saying uh, they deem appropriate or suitable for someone who's looking to retire in approximately 15 years is currently 78% stock, 22% uh, bond. And this, these allocations change over time. Like I said, that's one of the big selling points of these is they'll automatically rebalance. I'll, I'll touch on that and, and sort of what you can expect the allocations to change to. But let's dig a little more into what this fund actually holds. So it, it holds four uh, underlying Vanguard funds. It holds Vanguard's total stock market index fund, which currently is about 47% of this total fund. It holds Vanguard's total international stock index fund, which is about 31% of the total. And then it holds two bond funds, Vanguard's total bond market fund and Vanguard's total international bond market fund, which they are about, I'm rounding, about 16 and 6% respectively. So that's it. This one target 44, target 2040 uh, target date retirement fund of funds ultimately is just a conduit that holds four specific Vanguard index funds. One U.S. total stock market, one international total stock market. And international simply means, in effect, the whole world minus the U.S. So between those two funds I just mentioned, you have the whole global stock market. Uh, not all of it, but the vast majority of it. I mean, some like super small micro cap stocks, penny stocks, you know, they won't be included, but for all intents and purposes, it's all listed, you know, publicly traded. Um, larger, large enough companies are included in, in this. And then two bond funds, Vanguard's total bond market, which is a total U.S. bond market, and then total in international bond market, which like the stocks, international means uh, all countries other than, or rest of the world other than U.S. So four funds gets you exposure to, in effect, the whole globe worth of stocks and bonds, or the vast majority of, and that's it in one fund. And now just to give you some numbers here, the, the total stock market index fund, which is U.S. stocks, has about 3,800 underlying companies in it. The total international stock fund has about 8,500 underlying companies in it. The total U.S. bond market fund has about 10,700 individual bonds. And the total international bond fund has about 7,100 uh, individual bonds in it. So for you buying this one fund, this one target retirement 2040 fund, you ultimately own four underlying mutual funds that in effect are in turn own, uh, what, 13, over 14,000 individual stocks and about 18,000 individual bonds. So that's a lot of exposure, a lot of diversification in one simple mutual fund. So that, that's... Currently, as we sit today, that's the Vanguard Target Retirement 2040 Fund. And again, I'm not advocating you should or shouldn't buy Vanguard. This isn't a recommendation or endorsement for Vanguard. It's just I know they're one of the larger, more common, more prevalent uh, mutual fund companies out there. If, if you are going to buy a Target Date Retirement Fund, there's a decent chance this may be the one you come across just because you know, you've heard of it or it's one of the larger players in the market, whatever. And I'm just using it purely for example sake here. Again, this is not a recommendation that you should or shouldn't buy this. The point is, that's the 2040 fund, where it's roughly 15 years out from the person's intended target retirement. Let's just look a little more, uh, you know, the next fund before and the next fund after. As I said, these funds are typically staged in years of, uh, in five-year increments. So if you wanted to uh, have a slightly further out retirement, the next one would be the Vanguard 2045 fund, as opposed to the 2040. 
Or if you wanted a slightly closer uh, retirement, the next one would be 2035 fund as opposed to 2040. So the 2045 fund, because it is further out from now than 2040 is, should have a higher stock allocation than the 2040 fund does. And it does. So currently, the 2045 fund is about 85% stocks to about 15% bonds versus the 2040 again was about, what did I say? Uh, 78% stock to 22% bonds. So you can see logically, the further out the target retirement year is, the more aggressive the higher the stock exposure is. And just so you know, in Vanguard's case, they use the same underlying four funds, total US stock market, total international stock market, total US bond market, total international bond market. They use the same four funds just in different mixes to, uh, as they tweak the, uh, you know, the overall allocations. So that was a 2045, more aggressive. The 2035, which is a closer target year to retirement, should logically be invested uh, less aggressively than 2040. And sure enough, it is. The Vanguard 2035 fund is currently about 71% stocks to about uh, 29% bonds. Again, whereas 2040 was currently 77% stocks to 22% bonds. Um, so, so that's that in a nutshell so far. If you're interested, the most aggressively invested Vanguard fund is they have a 2070 fund. They don't yet have 2075 or, or 2080. They will as time passes and that gets closer. That they eventually like tack on, you know, a newer, further out fund. But currently, today, if you go to buy a Vanguard target retirement fund, the furthest year out you can buy is 2070. Which what it's 20, uh, 2024. So that is like uh, 45 years away, roughly. So, you know, the intention would be someone who starts working, let's assume they're 20. Um, this is the furthest fund out they can buy. This would be a roughly 45 year away target retirement date, which, which makes sense again. So someone's figure 20 ish is when they seriously start investing in earnest. Uh, retiring, let's just say 65 is, is the, you know, the typical target. That's 45 years away which is why Vanguard's furthest out target retirement fund is 2070, you know, not 2080, not 2090 or whatever. Although, like I said, those will come into existence at some point. Now, interestingly, the, the uh, 2070 fund, which again is the most aggressive mix of stocks to bonds because it's the furthest target year out, that's 90% stock, 10% bonds. It's not 100% stocks. Now, not to steal my own thunder, but this is one of the drawbacks I'm going to mention later. Uh, this may not be aggressive enough for some people. If you're 20 years old, you may want more than a, uh, more than 90% stock exposure, in which case even Vanguard's most aggressive target date retirement fund may not be the best choice for you. And on the flip side, the least aggressive Vanguard target date retirement fund, uh, sort of a two-part answer. The 2020 fund is the uh, least aggressive still formally dated, you know, still has a year in the title fund is the 2020 fund. And if you were to own that currently, that is about 40% stock to 60% bond at the moment. Again, it's, it's the same mix of those four funds we talked about before, but this one also now folds in an even more conservative uh, fifth fund, a bond fund, specifically the short-term treasury, tre <laughs> treasury inflation protected securities, otherwise known as TIPS. It has a little bit of a mix to that in addition to the four other ones. So you may be asking, hey, Andy, it is now 2024. Why is the 2020 fund still in existence? Well, uh, what happens is just like new funds, you know, far out funds get created every five years or so, uh, you know, 2070 being the most furthest out now, eventually it'll be a 2075. The, um, the, the close funds eventually do roll off. Specifically, they roll off, I believe it's seven years after the target retirement year, these funds do cease to exist. So the 2020 fund, even though we're four years beyond that, still exists, and it will still exist for three more years at this point. And its allocation will increasingly trickle down. Remember, as the target year gets closer, or in this case, we pass it and go beyond it, the allocations keep decreasing. So you may be asking now, okay, uh, it's 2024, this fund is 2020, still around. You just told me it's going to disappear in three years because these only last for seven years beyond the target date. Then what happens? Well, in the case of Vanguard, and, and every fund company could operate a little differently. This is just Vanguard's process I'm walking through. Uh, after seven years has passed from the target retirement year, in this case, 2020, so that means in 2027, 
the 2020 fund will, will go away. Now it doesn't just disappear and your money's gone. What happens is it converts. It sort of does this like in-kind uh, transformation from the 2020 fund into what Vanguard calls their target retirement income fund. And that is, uh, this has this sort of um, terminal static level of allocations where it's about 30% stocks, 70% bond, and it stays that way forever. It'll never get more or less aggressive. I mean, it bounces around a little. It may not be always exactly 30% stock. I mean, you know, like currently it's 29.8% stock, for example. But the point is the target will hover around 30% stock, 70% bond. So again, just to recap, the target year you have, such as a 2020 fund in this example, it doesn't stop once 2020 happens. It exists for seven years beyond the target retirement year and will continue to ratchet down the stock exposure, ratchet up the bond exposure every year up until seven years after when the fund in effect goes away and gets replaced by or converts to Vanguard's target retirement income fund, which has a residual static 30% stock allocation, 70% bond allocation, and stays that way forever. So this is what's commonly called, there's um, two and through target date retirement funds. I don't know if those are official terms or just what the market calls them, but um, Vanguard is an example of a through retirement target date retirement fund because once 2020 happened, for example, the fund's not over. It still keeps rebalancing, ratcheting down even through the 2020 target retirement year. So that's what through means. Others are called two target date retirement funds where they will stop rebalancing, stop reallocating once you hit that target year of 2020 or, or whatever it was you selected. Um, not saying one is better or worse than the other. It's just different. Like with all of these, you have to make sure you understand what you're buying, how it works, how it's going to rebalance, reallocate throughout the years. Does it stop downgrading? Uh, does it stop you know, dialing down stock exposure once you hit the retirement year? Or uh, does it keep down, uh, um, you know, downshifting it beyond, as in the case of of, uh, of Vanguard? So, so that's the process for Vanguard's in the way they handle and treat their uh, target date retirement fund. Again, I'm not recommending you do or don't use Vanguard. I'm just using them as an example because they are arguably the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, provider and, and manager of target date retirement funds. Um, so, other things to keep in mind. Different fund companies, again, whether it's Fidelity or State Street or whomever, they're going to have different target allocations. So, for example, like the Vanguard 2040 fund I was using in our example as of today has a 77% stock allocation, 22% bond allocation. Looking at Fidelity's, for example, again, this is not an endorsement or recommendation to use them. They have slightly higher, uh, Fidelity's 2040 target fund has a slightly higher current mix of stock versus bond. doesn't mean one is better or worse than the other. It's just different. So not all these things are created equal. So that, that's one difference across the different fund companies that offer these is the target allocations for any given target retirement year could be different. And the speed with which, you know, the, uh, the rate at which they change and rebalance down the exposures throughout the years could also be different. And the terminal, uh, you know, residual sort of ongoing stock to bond allocation once you're in retirement could also be different. Like I said, Vanguard floors out at 30% stock, 70% bonds. Fidelity's, I, I don't know what theirs is, theirs is, honestly, I didn't look it up, but it could be different. You know, maybe it's only 25% stock or maybe it's zero, who knows? But, you know, these are things you want to look into prior to deciding which one seems to make sense for you. Other differences could be um, some, some of these, again, they're all fund to funds. Some may use index, passive index funds that they invest in. Some may use active, actively managed funds that they invest in. So Vanguard, the funds I mentioned and the, the you know, examples we walked through, these are all passive index funds where there's not managers trying to actively pick stocks and bonds that they think are going to beat the index. They're just investing in the index, trying to, trying to invest in the entire market, not just uh, speculating on, on, on uh, positions they think would do better than the market. Whereas Fidelity... Fidelity, for, for my glance of it, the majority of the exposure in Fidelity's funds, target date funds, looks to be actively managed uh, stock and bond funds, not passive funds. Again, I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other. I have my views about what I, what I uh, prefer to use, but uh, just know they are different. Fees could be different. 
I, I gave you the uh, you know the Vanguard example where 0.08 percent ongoing annual expense ratio plus the twenty what did I say twenty dollar per year uh, account admin charge or whatever it is that's that's quite low that's probably as low as you're going to find or, or thereabouts. So those are some of the differences to look out for. Um, I'll get into some more specifics about the fidelity funds. I think I think that's worth mentioning as a point of comparison. But the point is, they're not all created equally. Do your research. If you decide target date funds make sense for you, do your research. Now, depending where you're buying them, you may not have a choice. Like I said before, if you are buying them within your 401k or other um, employer-sponsored retirement plan, you get what you get. You know, your, your, fund, your um, 401k administrator is going to only offer you Fidelity funds or only offer you Vanguard funds or only offer you State Street funds. It is what it is. Then you have to decide, okay... Is this fund good enough for, for what I want from it, you know, between its fees and its stock to bond allocation and whether it's active or passive funds underneath it? Does it jive with what I want? If the answer is yes, go ahead and use it. Um, but the point is, you know, you're not going to have discretion over using Vanguard versus Fidelity versus State Street in a 401k. You're going to get whatever you get from your employer. So anyway, even though not perfect, you know, they could be fine enough for, for what, what it is you want out of them. So let's now talk about some pros and cons of target date funds. And this is where there's really strong opinions. As I said, some folks, you'll find blogs and podcasts where people absolutely bash these and say, stay away. They're garbage. They're junk. Stop. No, that, that's just like clickbait. People speaking in hyperbole just to get attention or or they're just um, not trying to do it just to get some likes and some reads and some listens, but they truly feel that that polarized and dogmatic about it but that doesn't make it right either. Um, any advice that's dogmatic is usually not good advice, or at least not the best advice. And it's no different, in my opinion, with this. All products, all strategies have their pros and cons. Target date funds are no different. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean they should be avoided like the plague. Just means that maybe they work for you. Maybe they don't. So let's get into it. So the pros, um, I mean, probably gathered this by now, but the main pro is they're easy, efficient, and simple ways to get a lot of diversity in just one fund. So like the Vanguard 2040 fund I mentioned, you buying that one individual mutual fund by way of it holding underneath it four other funds who in turn hold thousands of individual positions, you get a lot, a lot of exposure and diversity for, for really cheap. So you get over 12,000 individual stock exposures indirectly in this one Vanguard 2040 fund and almost 18,000 individual bond exposures. That's a lot. There's no way you're buying, uh, what is that, almost $30,000, 30,000 individual positions yourself. It's just not possible, but you can quickly, easily, and cheaply buy this one fund that in turn gets you those exposure. So it's easy, efficient, and simple to get diversity. Uh, it's, it's hands-off in that you don't have to worry about trying to rebalance or reallocate. It does the work for you. It's, you know, for lack of a better term, set it and forget it, which isn't always ideal, but again, better than, than, than nothing in many cases. So you don't have to worry about how or when to go in and reallocate or rebalance. That's a, that's a big benefit for a lot of people, especially those that are new to investing, scared of investing, um, not well-versed in investing. If, if, if investing in a target date fund is what it takes to get you over the hurdle of, of not, for whatever your reasons are, then it's better than doing nothing at all. Even if the fund isn't ideal and there's better, more efficient or cheaper uh, funds out there, chances are being in something is, is, is often going to be better than doing nothing at all. So, so there's that. The other uh, sort of benefit of, of this being a hands-off way to rebalance and reallocate is not only is it doing the work for you of rebalancing, reallocating, but it can take away a lot of the emotional aspects and, and emotional behavioral flaws that people often make in investing with trying to time the market. So for example, what I mean by that is um, you think the stock market's at a high and so you're scared and you think you should sell now, take your money off the table, wait till it drops and buy back in. That's asking for trouble. That's market timing. And that rarely works out well. Not to say you can't get lucky and, and get, a, get a guess right here and there. People often do get a guess right here and there, but to consistently be able to time when to, when to get in, when to get out of things, that, that's that's never works out well, uh, other than, again, a string of really good luck. But So anyway, so with these target date funds, they help take that away because you, you don't, you know, if you own the 2040 fund, you don't control how much stock versus bond exposure it has. Uh, so you can't sell just stocks because you're trying to time the top of the market and get out. Like you'd keep the fund. Now, 
this isn't foolproof because you can say, okay, well, I think the stock market is overvalued and it's due to drop. So maybe you get out of this fund completely, right? And you just sit in cash. So that that's still a problem in that sense. Uh, or maybe you um, you buy, you know, you sell out of the 2040 fund and you buy a more conservative fund, like the 2020 fund, because it has much less stock exposure. So you do that as a way to sort of time trying to get some of your money out of the stock market. That that's still dangerous. That's still market timing. Uh, so so again, you know, these funds don't make it foolproof and completely stop you from being your own worst enemy. But in theory, uh, they can help because they do make it a little more difficult or more thought and steps for you to, um, you know, trim down your stock exposure unless you completely swap out funds, you know, like I mentioned. So that's an, anyway, that's another pro. It's hands off way to rebalance, reallocate. And the cost, the, the costs are low. We already sort of touched on this, but at least in the case of, of Vanguard, as I mentioned, 0.08% per year plus $20 flat fee if your account's under a million dollars, I think it was. That's really cheap. That that's super super cheap to get that much exposure to a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds where you don't have to do any of the trading or rebalancing yourself. You just park this money in it, whether it's a one-time purchase or you're consistently putting money in every paycheck, every month, every year, every whatever, and just let it do the rest of the work. Paying 0.08% per year plus 20 bucks, that is dirt dirt cheap. So anyway, fees could be really low. Even like you know other other plans are really low. If you are a federal employee, and you have the thrift savings plan, which for those that don't know, is kind of the 401k equivalent for federal employees. They have target date funds as well. They, they call them their quote unquote life cycle funds or, or L, letter L series of funds. And they work just the same as Vanguard. You know, the TSP has five underlying funds, C, S, F, G, and I, and that's it. Um, the, these life cycle funds, they have uh, five year increments, just like Vanguard does. And all they do is turn around and invest in the underlying five funds of the TSP just in different combinations. So functionally no different. Fees for them at the TSP, similarly quite cheap. They, uh, My understanding is they don't have any extra admin charge or like fund-to-fund maintenance charge. They just simply pass through the uh, underlying expense ratios of the five other funds they invest in. Again, C, S, F, I, and G funds. And those those expense ratios range from 0.057 to 0.09% uh, per year. So TSP is a great plan, re- really low fees. Uh, frankly, you can get those fees lower in an IRA in comparable ETFs or mutual funds that, that get this identical or very similar exposure to TSP funds. But uh, you know that aside, TSP nonetheless is still really cheap. Not, not as cheap as it can be, but really cheap, good uh, plan with, with, for most people, it's all the options they really need at, at really good fees. So anyway, so, so cost can be really low is one of the big pros. Now let's get to the cons. And there could be more pros than that. I mean, those are the big ones. Those, those are in my mind what really um, the pros to focus on, not to say there's not other smaller things or, or something I forgot, but, but I think I hit on the, 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 big, the big boulders with that one. Let's not talk about their cons. The cons is they're not personalized. Um, they don't know your risk capacity or risk tolerance. And just to recap, I discussed these in my Intro to Investing segment uh, series. Risk capacity takes into account sort of the objective uh, measures of how much risk you can take. So what do I mean by this? Let's give an example. So someone's 46, like I said, in my case, and I'm investing in a target date retirement fund, the 2040 fund, let's say, because I plan on stopping work at 60-ish. Um, Vanguard automatically says, okay, my allocation is going to be, what was it, 77% stock to 22% bond. Well, how do they know I'm not independently wealthy and already have $10 million, I don't, but already, I wish I did, already have $10 million of money set aside for retirement that I don't plan on touching till then. And I plan on living a frugal retirement and I'm going to get some inheritance or whatever. And I own, you know, real estate that throws off income such that my retirement's set. So this money I'm putting in the target date retirement fund, it could be as aggressive as I want it to be because so what if it drops? Like I'm already good or maybe vice versa. Uh, it, it could be super, super conservative, maybe because I don't need to try to squeak out a lot of growth from this. Maybe it could be ultra conservative, this money. So Vanguard doesn't know that. The 2040 fund doesn't know that. It buckets me with everyone else in the same you know, 77% stock to 22% bond exposure that ratchets down over time. So it doesn't know my risk capacity. It doesn't know my risk tolerance, whereas risk capacity is the objective measure of how much risk someone uh, can or can't take. Risk tolerance is the subjective measure. It's like my emotional views towards risk. It's do I lose sleep seeing my account balances 
whip around, even if it doesn't financially impact me because I am independently wealthy and got $50 million. Uh, still, if I lose sleep, seeing my account balance drop, that means I have like low risk tolerance. This fund doesn't know that. It doesn't distinguish me from anyone else investing in this 2040 fund. We all get the same thing, no more, no less. So, so that, that's a big drawback. It's not personalized. Another one, I already sort of touched on this. It could be too conservative. Like I said before, the Vanguard funds, for example, um, even the most aggressive, the most furthest out target date of 2070 still has 10% bonds in it. You, you can't get higher than 90% stock allocation in Vanguard target date funds. Now, I don't know about other providers. I don't know about Fidelity, State Street, whoever. They may be different, but Vanguard at least, the max stock exposure is 90. That's arguably too conservative or not aggressive enough for someone who's only 20 and is you know, 40, 40 plus years out from retirement, they arguably shouldn't have any bonds. Now, again, this isn't specific recommendation. If you're 20 years old and listening to this, don't say, Andy told me I, I need 100% stocks. Again, everyone's situation is different. Your risk capacity, your risk tolerance is different. But generally speaking, uh, I think it's fair to say it would be nice if Vanguard had an option that started out at 100% um, stock allocation. For what it's worth, just side note, uh, Vanguard funds, they, they start out at 90% stock for the most aggressive and stay there until you get to 25 years out from the target year. At that point, then they start dialing down the stock exposure. So whether you currently have the 2070 fund, the 2065 fund, the 2060 fund, they will all be 90% stock, 10% bonds. It's only, again, once you get to within 25 years of the fund's stated target retirement year, then they start dialing down the stock exposure. So could be too conservative is uh, another one of the um, uh, drawbacks. Now, if let's just say as a side note, you decide, okay, let's assume like me, I'm 46 again. So I'm already, if I already use Vanguard funds, I'm already in the stage where Vanguard has started dialing down the stock exposure, unlike the earlier ones where it's 90% and that's that. What if I decide the current, even though I want to retire in 2040, what if I decide that the Vanguard's 2040 mix of 77% stock isn't enough stock exposure for me? I can simply buy the uh, 2045 fund if I want. You know, just buy a further out uh, year. It'll by default, it's going to have currently higher stock exposure. There, there's no restrictions. Like Vanguard doesn't spot check your age and say, no, you know, you're 45. You cannot buy this fund because it's too aggressive or you cannot buy this because it's too conservative. They'll let you buy whatever. They don't care. So it's on you to figure out what the appropriate level of exposure is for you. And that's sort of another drawback, right? It comes back to like, you buy the 2040 fund, maybe it's too much, maybe it's too little stock exposure. It's not personalized at all. So you still have some discretion. You can go up or go down the years of target retirement and sort of pick what, what you feel is the right uh, current allocation for you and, and then let them do the rest going forward. It doesn't have to be the year you actually plan on retiring. That's just sort of the broad intention of these, but it doesn't have to be. So it could be too conservative is, is another uh, con. Fees could be high. As I said, in the case of Vanguard, fees are really cheap for, for what these are and what you get. Using Fidelity as an example, um, fees are much higher. So using Fidelity's 2040 fund, and Fidelity calls them freedom, quote unquote freedom is, is the uh, kind of marketing name for their target date retirement funds. Using the Fidelity 2040 fund as an example, its annual expense ratio is 0.74%, whereas Vanguard's was 0.08%. That's a big difference. Uh, even with Vanguard's $20 per year admin charge, which it appears Fidelity does not charge an admin fee on top of the 0.74%. That's a big difference. Um, doesn't mean it's bad, but the uh, in my review, my, my looking of Fidelity's target date funds, it's because they have a lot of actively managed funds in their roster, whereas Vanguard is purely passive funds. And all is equal, actively managed funds come at a higher fee, because there's more work involved, because there are investment managers actively trying to screen and pick stocks and bonds that they think are going to do better in the market, and they buy those, whereas the passive approach is really just whatever's in the market, that's what you buy, no more, no less. So it's a lot less work to do it and, and, and uh, you know maintain it. So fees could be high. Uh, now, hopefully you get something for it. Again, in Fidelity's case, you're getting active management. Maybe you want active management in this case, fine, this is good for you. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're firmly in the camp of, you know, passive is the way to do it. Control what you can control, you know, cost being one of them, uh, in which case 0.74% is, is, is way too high, if that's your mindset. So fees could be high. 
Another one, uh, another con, these could be more complex and convoluted than necessary. And this isn't a dig just on targeted retirement funds. It's sort of mutual funds in general. But again, using the Fidelity 2040 fund, whereas Vanguard had four funds that it held in its 2040 fund, the Fidelity 2040, 2040 fund has the following. Stick with me here. It's got 12 U.S. stock funds. It has one U.S. stock futures contract. I won't get into what a futures contract is, but it's a um, derivative investment contract. Anyway, it's one of those. It's got seven non-U.S. stock funds. It has one non-U.S. stock futures contract. It has one commodities fund, which is 0.63% of the total fund in whole. It's got 12 bond funds. It's got a handful of individual U.S. treasuries in it. And it has one real estate fund whose total value is 0.10% of the fund as a whole. So what's the math on this? 20, 30 something, uh, close to 40 holdings in this one target date fund. Um, is that too much? If you ask me, yes. It's, it's unnecessarily complicated and convoluted were the words I would use to describe this. Other folks may, may feel it's okay. Um, again, this isn't specific to target date funds. But my view is I, there's, there's just, there's not need for this much complexity, especially for example, it has one real estate fund in it where that real estate fund is 0.10% of the whole fund. Why are they even messing around with that? If that fund doubles, the real estate fund, if that doubles, it's a rounding error, right? It, it, you're not even going to notice it. It's going to get lost in the mix of all the other funds in, in their returns. You know, any position that's 0.1% of your fund is like, why are you even bothering? Same thing, if that real estate fund goes to zero, so what if 0.10% of your fund goes to zero? That, that, that's, you make or lose more than that any given day, just from normal market movements and other stuff. So like, why bother with this fund? So this is an example of funds being overcomplicated and convoluted. Now, whether it's a mutual fund you own or like you have an investment advisor where he or she is investing for you and they invest in 30 different mutual funds, they're making things unnecessarily complicated that maybe ends up doing better than, than a passive, simpler, cleaner, lower cost portfolio. Maybe it doesn't. There's no way to know for sure, but Going back to the comment I said, where control what you can control, you can't control what the market's going to do. You can't control which stocks are going to do better than others. You can't control which sector is going to do better than others. So, so don't spend your energy there. What you can control is the overall allocation and diversity you have. And you can do that really cleanly and efficiently with, with a simple index fund or you know, target date retirement fund. You can control the fees you pay, right? Would you rather pay 0.08% per year? in a Vanguard fund or 0.74% per year fee in one of these fidelity funds. You can control that. So focus on what you can control, not what you can't. Um, my view is when something has 30 individual funds in it, it, it's just, it's unnecessarily complicated and convoluted. doesn't make it bad again, but why bother? So that's another downside. And final downside, uh, final con I, I, uh, I see here. And again, this isn't comprehensive. Different people may have different views, but my view of, of what another con is, because I do focus on retirement planning, is target date funds are not the best choices. They're not very efficient when you're distributing from your portfolio, you know, selling it off and, and, and taking cash out of your portfolio. Why is that? Well, because you can't control whether you sell stocks or bonds if all you have is a target date fund. The mix is the mix. If the fund is 30% stocks, 70% bonds, every time you need to sell some to free up cash to distribute out, you're forcibly selling 30% stocks, 70% bonds. Well, what if the uh, stock market is, is raging hot and you want to sell off just your stock positions or some of your stock positions, take some gains off the table and leave your bonds as they are? You can't do that with a target date fund. Whereas if you split it up, and this is what I do in practice, and, and this is ideally what I think uh, anyone, whether you have an advisor or not, should do when you're in retirement and in the, distribu in the distribution stage of life, um, split it up. You don't know, have your, your separate stock funds and your bond funds and your pot of cash or whatever. So you have more control and discretion and optimization abilities to sell just some stocks or sell just some bonds, depending what the market's doing and you know what's up relative to what or what's down less relative to what. You can't do that with targeted retirement funds. So that's why I said they can be, you know, at the top of the show, they can be good for people who are accumulating, still adding, still building their wealth but not ideal, not optimal for folks that are at the other stage of, of the game, the, the decumulation stage. So in closing, my takeaway of target date retirement funds, for people who are really hands-off or really not knowledgeable or comfortable about investing, these could be great. While they're not perfect, the chances are they're better in doing nothing, and they can help you avoid 
catastrophic mistakes of like putting all your money into one stock or whatever, being too concentrated, they can help alleviate that. Uh, they are better for accumulators than decumulators for the reasons I just recently mentioned. Not all target date funds are created equally. If you want to use them and decide they as a, as a principle, you know, as a, as a general investing approach makes sense for you, you then have to shop around and find which ones, you know, shop around the fees, shop around how they invest in their underlying funds. Are they active? Are they passive? Are they complicated? Are they not? Uh, what their allocations are throughout the years, how they, how they dial down allocations throughout the years. When you do hit your target retirement year, what happens? Do they stop? Uh, you know, revising or amending or, or changing the allocations, or do they go beyond like Vanguard does for seven years beyond the target date? They'll still keep uh, ratcheting back the stock exposure. So you have to do your research. Uh, they're not all created equally. And finally, don't listen to people who tell you target date funds are the devil and to avoid them. Dogmatic advice is almost always bad advice. This is no different. Someone who has a YouTube video or a blog that has this like, no, do not invest in or stay away from target date funds and has like, you know, a picture of fire, like skull and crossbones, like just stop. They're just, they're just on a soapbox either to get you to follow and read and get clicks and likes, or they're just truly uh, overly dogmatic and polarized in their views to the point that they're doing themselves and, and, and readers and listeners a disservice for uh, having what I'll call such relatively closed-minded views about about this or any product for that matter. All right, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this. That's my take on target date retirement funds. As always, I'm going to beg and grovel right now. If you do enjoy this podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you would uh, take, take a moment, take a second to leave a review on Apple iTunes or whatever you use to listen to this podcast or give it a thumbs up or a like. Yes, I am begging for uh, likes and thumbs up, just like you know the people I spoke bad about saying those who write flashy articles just to get attention and likes. Here I am asking for likes. Anyway, uh, also, if you are not already a member of the Facebook group, Retirement Planning Education, you should definitely check it out. It is, uh, Facebook could be a lot of hot, hot, steamy garbage, but the Retirement Planning Education group is a great spot and great place to be in, to learn, to share information. It is carefully monitored and admined by myself and a few others to try to keep out the riffraff, the political nonsense, the name callers, all the trouble. You know, we try to keep it a really clean, good spot to learn, to ask questions, just even sit and lurk and soak it up if you want. You don't have to directly participate. It's a great spot for information. I also have a YouTube channel called Retirement Planning Education. It's kind of in dormant. I haven't done much with that in over half a year at this point, but there's a lot of great videos up there from when I was consistently doing videos. A lot of those are timeless kind of evergreen videos that you can uh, learn a lot of um, good information about, about various things, about taxes and retirement planning. And my uh, company's newsletter is called Retirement Planning Insights. Great newsletter comes out once a month, 7 a.m. Eastern sharp on the first of every month. If you're not already subscribed to that, uh, I think you would you dig it if you do. You can find links to all these things in the notes to this episode. That's that. I will stop now. Thank you for listening. Take care and I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you.